On this episode, we talk with Marine veteran and author, Dr. Benjamin Peters. Hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of yeah. course. Um, I, I was thinking about you know different guests and different people who I wanted to have on the show, yeah. and you came to mind because I thought, man, you have such an amazing story of you know growing up kind of on the West Coast, and then kind of your journey through everything you, yeah. you've done with Iraq and writing books and getting your doctorate and all this stuff. Yeah. So, um, you know, this show is really about educating people and encouraging people, letting them know that they're not too far from where they want to be and yeah. that they have what it takes within them to achieve their goals and, you know, do the things that they want to do. Yeah, yeah. And so I wanted to have you on because I thought, you know, you would be a great uh, person to kind of talk about your journey. There's a lot of people out there who probably think that they don't have what it takes to maybe get their doctorate or um, I know a lot of people who thought, oh, I'd love to write a book, but I could never do that. Yeah. And so I think that you have a lot of information and, and knowledge that you can kind of share and even your struggles yeah. to just kind of say, yeah, you know, it, it wasn't hard, but, um, yeah. or it was very hard, but yeah. I pushed through and now I'm, I'm where I'm yeah. at. So, yeah. you know, I like to just kind of start out with people's <laughs> stories of, you know, where they grew up, what their home life was like yeah. and that journey. So if you could kind of share with us a little yeah. bit about, about that. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Hey. Uh, first, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, of course. It's always fun to talk to you. Um, yeah, so let's see. I grew up in, like you said, the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. I come from a family with seven kids. Wow. And I am smack in the middle. Um, and I was just telling somebody this yesterday. I'm the classic middle child, right? <laughs> like I reject everybody in the family, and I'm going to go my own way, and I'm going to do my own thing. And yeah. I'm going to move to Colorado, and they all still live in the Northwest, right? So classic middle child. Mm -hmm. Um Mixed family, right? Um, the Brady Bunch? Kind of like the Brady Bunch, okay. yeah. Um, but I think positively, right? Yeah. Um, we had a lot of support because of that, right? Um, it, it's like we had, like I had four dads, but okay. most of them, <laughs> right, <clears throat> were actually pretty cool. Did you have good relationships with your other siblings and your four dads? Yeah, it's funny. We um, we all kind of grew up together. Um and we we were close, and we all think of each other as, you know, brother and sister. Um, not that we don't, we never like refer to each other as step or half or anything like that. We're all just kind of siblings. Uh, and when uh, my wife and I were engaged, I flew her out to visit my family for the first time, and she was so thrown off because we had all my brothers and sisters, my mom, and my my dad, my ex stepdad, and my new stepdad. <laughs> All hanging out, right? It was awesome. Was everybody pretty amicable? Like, yeah. I mean, and that's not to say, and my stepmom too was all there. So that's not to say it was ever, it was easy. Like that was a long road Yeah. through a lot of tension and fighting over the years. But eventually like we all came around and said, look, whether we like it or not, we're stuck together. So we should make the best of it. Um, and by and large, we have like, we, we, you know, when we do get together, we all get, we'll, we'll do Thanksgiving together. We'll do Christmas together. So it was a weird Brady Bunch family full of tension and stuff. But over time, we were like, hmm. we're here and this is happening. Yeah. So you never um, you never allowed that to kind of hold you back or say, yeah. oh, I'm, 
not privileged enough or yeah. whatever because I have seven siblings and four dads and yeah, yeah. I mean, so in high school, I mean, what were you like? I mean, were you into sports or were you kind of like the recluse or yeah, yeah. You know, what what did you? Uh, I played sports. Um, uh, yeah, I played sports. I played football, basketball, and baseball and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's funny now, but I barely graduated, right? <clears throat> high school. Why? Yeah, yeah. So it was right when the internet was coming out. <laughs> okay. It was super cool. Like, I remember the first time I saw somebody was like, check this out. You got to see what email is. I was like, oh, Hotmail. That's crazy. <laughs> Whatever it was then. Yeah. It probably wasn't even Hotmail. AOL, maybe. Something. something. <laughs> I was like, this is crazy. So that, like, legit, like, I remember the first time, right? So my senior year, we have to all write a senior paper in order to graduate. And I was like, I, I came home. My brother was in community college at the time. He was like, no, don't write it. There's this thing called the internet. And if you go to this like website and you pay somebody money, they'll write you your serious? paper for you. <laughs> so you plagiarized your senior paper? I didn't even plagiarize. I paid somebody to write it. I didn't, I didn't plagiarize. <laughs> like, I, took, so awesome. I just paid him money. I was like, dude, you write this. And it was on the like the dumbest thing ever. Uh, in, in Portland, Oregon, uh, or in um, Washington, from Portland, Oregon to Seattle, there's this really big bicycle race called the Seattle to Portland. Mm-hmm. And I, I emailed this person and I said, I want to, I want you to write a paper about what it would take to train to complete the Seattle to Portland bicycle race. And whoever it was was like, sure. Yeah, we could totally do that. So like, I don't know, a week later, two weeks later, I get this amazing paper. Yeah. this <laughs> I'm like a high school senior and I get this like 18 page paper <laughs> that's like researched. <clears throat> I turn it in. Uh, and my teacher pulls me into her office, you know, a week later or whatever. And it said, okay, come on, you didn't write this. And I was like, no, for real, I wrote that. She was like, you did not write this. I was like, how dare you? I'm appalled. Yeah. <clears throat> Your accusation. Uh, so obviously I got called out. I got busted. So, I mean, were you, sw- I mean, you were sweating bullets. Oh, I was dead. Like I knew I was dead, right? Yeah. So, I mean, essentially everything that you had worked for in high school could have just been, yeah, you so, had been like a fifth year senior. Oh, it would have been terrible. Well, so the thing is, right, so I had... I had some success in sports. I got a, a scholarship to go to college to play uh, football and baseball. Okay. I knew I was going to be going to this, this small liberal arts college in Kansas to play these sports, and I totally screwed up my senior paper. But fortunately, I was at a, it was a small school. Our teachers were really invested in us, our, you know, the students, and I had a couple of teachers come alongside me and say, we think you're great. We value you. We want to see you graduate. Mm. Um, and one of them sat with me like every day after school, for, like two or three weeks to help me like bust out this paper. Cause the principal who was awesome was like, look, I'm not gonna expel you. You're a good kid. You've right. worked hard, you've tried hard. You made a stupid decision. Yeah. We'll give you one chance. And they did and I passed and I graduated. Dang. Yeah, it wasn't so funny. Dude, now. that is hilarious. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but I can imagine <clears throat> as a kid, you're thinking my life's over. Oh like, yeah. Like I got busted my college is gonna fall through now. Or yeah, like, yeah, like what know? am I gonna do? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so dumb. Wow. Okay. So then from there you go to play sports, which is so funny to me that you're like, I mean, not that you're not athletic or anything like that, but you just, you don't seem like that kind of guy. Uh, I mean, I don't like to brag. (laughs) You had some stats. Yeah. But since this is a show about my life, uh, yeah, I was all state football. I was a running back. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I, I was running back in high school. All-State my senior year, All-State football and baseball my senior year. Mm-hmm. Entertained a few different offers from small colleges. Like, I was never the guy who was going to go D1. Right. That's 
you know, I wasn't that right. good, right? I didn't go to a big enough high school. I'm not that big enough of a guy. Yeah. But for like a small D2 school, yeah, right? So entertained a couple of different offers, decided that I wanted to go somewhere far from home that was just different from the Northwest. Mm-hmm. So the farthest school away from my home that offered me the largest amount of money was the school I went to. <laughs> Did you know about Kansas? <laughs> no, I was like, whatever. That's cool. It's something different, right? Yeah. So I went to Bethany College in okay. Lindsborg, Kansas, this really tiny school. Yep. Um, yeah, I played football and baseball. Uh, my first two years, really enjoyed it. What happened, though, is my after my sophomore year, I came to Colorado to work at this like camp in mm-hmm. Estes Park. Fell in love with Colorado and thought to myself, I am going to transfer to CSU. I'm going to try to play baseball at D1. At that time, I was like, if I'm going to make it D1 in any sport, I could probably pull it off in baseball. What, I mean, and, yeah, um, outfield. Yeah, like skinny guys can <laughs> still do something, right? <laughs> and uh, at the time, actually, CSU, it, it, it was just a D1 club team, so I was like, even better, right? I could still play baseball. Um, I could walk on, play club, and uh, yeah, just so funny uh, going to natural resources because i wanted to be like a hiking guide like yeah. an outfitter kind of dude yeah. right <clears throat> which now also is funny right yeah <laughs> so i leave bethany so at, at, yeah. at that time i mean did you start to have an inkling about what did you wanted to do with your life i mean yeah. what were you majoring in when you were there at school yeah 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 you know so i had no i had no clue right so i, I really wanted to go to college to play sports i was like mm-hmm. typical jack in that regard i go down to Bethany, um, get, start doing a degree in English literature because I just thought it was cool and I liked reading. Not, so even even back then, I liked reading, right? Yeah. So I was like, oh, I want to go, I want to read, I want to, you know, do that professionally. <laughs> read <laughs> yeah. for a living. Is this possible? <laughs> um, but after my sophomore year, I wasn't really stoked with the way football and baseball were panning out. I fell in love with this camp in Estes Park. Decided to transfer, like I said, and then so, but I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. But this is all going to catch right. up, right? So what ended up happening was, I moved to Fort Collins to get in-state tuition, and uh, I was delivering food for restaurant runners. This organization up in Fort Collins. It was like, like an Uber for food. Yeah, before exactly. There yeah. was that. Yeah, that's exactly what it was, okay. right? A Postmates before Postmates. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what it was. Yeah, right. Nice. So I'm doing that, trying to get in-state tuition. Living in an apartment with a buddy of mine, I get accepted to CSU, I'm ready to go, I'm going to do natural resources, I'm going to become a guide, and then all of a sudden September 11th happens, mm-hmm. right? And I, I came home, and my roommate... Where were you when that happened? Uh, at the time, I was working... Actually, it's a little bit inverted, I need to go back a second. At the time, when September 11th actually happened, I, I had applied to C, had applied to CSU. I'd gotten in, but I was I was it was before I was working as a restaurant runner. Okay, I was working at a mattress company as a mattress salesman, which was awesome. Were you crushing it? No, it's the worst. I hate talking to people, man. <laughs> this only works because it's me and you. That's right. I mean, yeah. Normally, I hate talking to people. So people would come and in selling. And yeah, selling. yeah, right. And selling, and it was high pressure sales. Like right. I had to have goals and stuff, and that. Um, People will walk in. I'm like, do you want to buy a mattress? You know, lay with me. It's so awkward. Yeah. And I'm driving to work. I walk in and my boss was like, can you believe what happened? We got to respond and like kill these people. I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, I'm I'm sorry. I don't know what happened. You didn't listen to like talk radio. Not back then. I was like, you know, I was just doing my thing. Yeah. I don't know. 
So she's like, go in the back, turn the TV. So I go in the back, turn the TV. I see that it's September 11th. Crazy, crazy, right? I, tragic. Uh, so I came home from work that day. My roommate was also riveted by the television uh, and what was happening in New York. And we would look at each other and we're like, let's join the Marine Corps and let's do this thing. Hmm. So it's all kind of fuzzy because I can't remember exactly the timeline, but that happened. So when, so you guys got fired up and then it was like, let's join the Marine Corps. Literally like the next day we go down to the recruiter and the recruiter, we, he, he's trying to pitch us all these deals. And we were like, you don't need to sell us on this. We're in like, we'll just let us sign the piece of paper. Wow. And he says, do you want to go infantry or you can be a reserve? Well, that's how we got to Fort Collins. He goes, or you can be a reserve and go into intelligence. What do you want to do? And I was like, infantry, let's do infantry, man. If we're going to do this, let's just go all the way. Yeah. My roommate was like. Gear down, mm, big shifter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's do the, the reserve thing and go intel. And I was like, all right, all right. He talks me into it. So we sign up. That's what happens. So we sign up. We do this thing downtown called MAPS where we go through all the, the, the like physicals and the paperwork. We get approved. So how old are you at this point? I was 20. So you're 20 years old. Yeah. It, that seems very impulsive. Like oh, it yeah. seems very like li- like not really thinking about the consequences yeah. or yeah. I mean it seems very yeah. prefrontal cortex. It is. And you can read all about it <laughs> in Through All the Plane. Little book. Yeah, uh, just saying. Book plug here. This yeah. is a great book. By the um, way. And your latest book. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. But this one, yeah. So that one tells the story yeah. of this whole crazy trajectory, right? So yeah. it, it was impulsive. Um, you know, I'm sure my mom and dad were a little freaked out. Yeah. Uh, but we pass all our physicals. We get accepted into the United States Marine Corps. But we knew we were reserves. So that's what it was. So then we decide, okay, look, we're going to be reserves. So we know we're going to come back and we're going to want to finish college. Mm-hmm. Let's do the whole Fort Collins CSU thing. We go up to Fort Collins. I start delivering. I left the mattress store. I start delivering food. Working your way up. Working my way up. I turned 21 in Fort Collins, right? Okay. Great town. Great 20. town. Oh, I Lots mean, it beer. was wonderful. Oh, yeah. I loved it. Odell's. Yeah. <laughs> New Belgium. But, you know, who knew? My wife was living there at the time. Which right? is crazy. Which is crazy to think about. Right after I turned 21, I flew home because to celebrate Christmas with my family. And then, like, a week later, I was down in San Diego for recruit training in the Marine Corps. So as yeah. far as... Now, was that something that you had to choose to do, or was it because you were reserved? And yeah, then... so everybody everybody has to go through basic training, okay. or the Marine Corps is called recruit training. So okay. everyone has to go through recruit training. I was uh, on, on the western half of the United States, so I went to San Diego. Yeah. I did that for, oh, whatever it is, like three months. And then I did what's called um, MCT, Marine Combat Training, which is like another month at Camp Pendleton. Yeah. And then after that, right, so the whole time I'm thinking, I'm doing this, I'm still a reserve, I'm going to go back to CSU, right? That's the plan. Yeah. Well, what what was that, what was that training like? I mean, as far as, is it like the movies? Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's very, it's very similar to the movies. I think a lot of, a lot of movies do that correctly. Okay. Um, What, because you'd asked earlier, did I know what I wanted to be at? So I think that all came up in, in recruit training. Mm. It's really hard. You know, you have people yelling at you all the time. It's it's hard to describe. Yeah. Now, physically, yeah. you were in better shape, right, as far as... Yeah. So you, 
that was kind of yeah, yeah. a part of it, you yeah. being physically fit. Mm. But I'm sure that you go through a lot of emotional exercises too that kind of break yeah. you down and yeah. you know make you into a Marine. Absolutely, right? I mean, the whole point of recruit training is to strip you down to your core and then to rebuild you into the shape of a Marine. So yeah. they, they deconstruct your civilianness, right? And rebuild you as something else. So it, during that time, I mean, yeah. were you ever like, what the hell did I do? Like, oh, yeah. Like, why am I here? Like... I could just be in college like a regular yeah. college kid, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I absolutely did. So I think that's part of, it was actually really funny. One time my, my drill instructor called me into his office, which never really supposed to happen or does happen, but he called me in and he shuts the door and he's like, Peters, I was looking at your file. And I was like, <laughs> you know, yes, drill instructor. You have two years of college. Yes, drill instructor. You know, and he says, um, you had a college football scholarship. I was like, yes, drill instructor. And he's like, then why the f- are you here? He's <laughs> like, like uh, this is Irma Country, man. September 11th. <laughs> Some stuff's happening. So even the Marine Corps is like, why are you here? Yeah, yeah. You know, why didn't you just be an officer or something? Because I wanted to enlist, man. I wanted to yeah. be a sergeant. Now, did you get to hang out with your buddy at this time? Yeah, so we were in we were in the same platoon. We were oh, recruit so training together. Cool. Yeah, uh, we're you know we still uh, are in touch. We don't talk a ton, but um, we're, we were good friends. So what happened is though is in that time where yeah, I was like, I don't think actually I was cut out for the Marine Corps. It's great for a certain type of individual. For me, uh, it was it was mentally challenging, emotionally exhausting, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, I think I would I would thrive better doing something else. So then that's where I started to think through if I could do anything with my life, what would I really want to do? And I just kept in recruit training. I kept having these visions of me in a study or a library reading and writing. And I was like, that's crazy. It's not anything I ever thought I would have wanted to do or anything I would even consider myself capable of doing. But there was something about recruit training that, like I said, stripped me down to my core Hmm and made me reflect on what I really wanted to do. And I thought if that's the image that I really, and in a moment like this, this is the image that comes into my mind and I continually think about and reflect on, then maybe I should strive towards it. Wow. So that all was rooted in, in recruit training. Hmm. But what happens is recruit training ends, Marine combat training ends. My reserve unit is uh, Buckley Air Force Base um, in Colorado, in Aurora, Colorado. I draw, oh no, so then I do, okay, recruit training, Marine combat training, and then I do six month six months at Intel school in San Angelo, Texas, at Goodfellow Air Force Base. Mm-hmm. I leave that, my six months training, I drive to Buckley to check in. And when I get to Buckley to check in, everyone's running around like crazy. And I'm like, hey, I'm the new guy. Like, What's up? For my duty? Yeah, I'm like, just here for my duty because I'm going to go back to college. <laughs> right. And my gunny was like, no, 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 no. We leave for Iraq on Thursday. Wow. It's like... What? You, what did you feel at that moment? Like stick to your stomach or oh, yeah. were you like prepared? No, I mean, I was sick to my stomach. I was terrified. I was, you know, I thought this would never, this wasn't supposed to happen, right? This wasn't supposed to happen to me. I was going to go. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, I'm, re- I'm like, I know I enlisted, but I'm really a college kind of, I, like, I got I like reading. I got to get back, man. Because now, right, I've got this image in my mind of what right. I want to be. So I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, no, I see that I signed that paper. You know, that's, I signed the contract, but mm-hmm. really... You should let me off the hook here. Yeah. Of course, no, they didn't. <laughs> of course. <Yeah. laughs> so what I find interesting is it took stripping you down mm-hmm. mentally and emotionally, yeah. physically, for you to 
find the core of yourself and yeah. then for you to say, this is what I want to truly do. And I find that interesting because I think a lot of people struggle throughout life mm-hmm. trying to figure out what they want to do, trying to figure out who they want to be. Yeah. And sadly, a lot of people don't figure that out until their 40s or 50s. Yeah. And it, for them, it's kind of like, now now I have to start over or pursue my dream at this point, and I don't have much time left. So yeah. I'm wondering if there's anything that that people could do or, or reflect on or to kind of get to that point faster. Yeah, go to go to boot camp. Go to boot camp. It's like, listen, if you Look. want to find out who you are, yeah. go to boot camp. Put yourself in a situation that yeah. you hate. And I think a lot of people go through life situations that bring them to that point, right? Mm-hmm. You know, whether they yeah. uh, have family issues or job issues or like they get laid off and it's like, yep. wow, I'm, I'm destitute, I'm broke or yeah. whatever it is. And now I have to figure this out. And so I think a lot of people go through that. But yep. I'm thinking, man, I wonder if there's, you know, a way that, that someone could get to that place sooner yeah. or, or figure out how, you know, wh- what is it that they need to focus on or think about. Yeah, that really, kind of clarity. Where do yeah, you find to get that, that clarity. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, there's this, in college, I was, my, when I was at Bethany, um, and actually, it's a long story, but I did end up eventually getting back to Bethany. That's where I, my my undergrad is from. But my first two years there, I was Ben Harper was just getting big, mm-hmm. and it, me and Still my my kisses. yeah yeah right. Yeah. And me and my buddies were all into like buying the DVDs of live performances, and we'd watch them. Right? The DVD, of course. But Ben Harper had a movie about one of his performances in like Germany or something, and he had he was talking about pursuing. Um, a life as a, you know, musician. And somebody asked him about his hobbies, I think. And he's like, I don't have hobbies. I have music Mm. and that's it. There really is nothing else for me. And I remember at the time even thinking, and I still reflect on that, that line, not that I'm a huge Ben Harper fan anymore, or one of your questions was what six albums would I take on an island? I'm like, I don't really listen to music, man. Can we do books? (laughs) Yeah, we can do books. Um, but I think there's this kind of clarity with something like that where there are a lot of people who would sort of turn that on, on its head and say, well, that's extreme. You need to find balance, um, which is true in certain aspects of life and in certain ways, whether that's like health or diet or family or raising kids or whatever that might look like. But when it comes to the thing you choose to do, there kind of has to be this sellout to it of I'm going to pursue, you know, in his case, music, or in my case, you know, writing, PhD, um, that kind of work. I'm going to pursue it at great cost, you know, and I don't know, I'm I'm not entirely clear, honestly, where that clarity comes in. But once Mm -hmm. it comes in and you decide, this is the thing that's, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to be. Mm it, you have to, put, I think, put all your chips into that. Be fierce about and it. And just kind of be fierce about it. And I think mm-hmm. part of that, I think if the image was presented to me in boot camp within my two tours in Iraq, um, uh, the first time I was in that push that went north to Baghdad, in uh, like in, uh, what was that, 2002 or whatever. And then 2004, 2005, I was in Ramadi uh, as an intelligence person sort of helping oversee and facilitate the second battle of Fallujah. And there were times in war and, like, combat and that kind of stuff where you think life's too short. You know, I could die tomorrow. You come home and you realize you kind of still carry that weight with you. Mm -hmm. And if life's really short and you really could die tomorrow or right now, then you might as well find clarity on the thing you want to do and thrive at that thing, you know. Yeah. Well, I think think we all get caught up in 
and all these unimportant things yeah. that we make big in our minds. You know, we think, um, oh, well, if, if I start pursuing what I'm passionate about 100%, then yeah. how is this stuff going to work out in my life? You know, mm-hmm. and uh, I think, yeah, there a lot, there's a lot to saying of just taking that leap of faith yeah. and then putting your, you know, hundred percent of yourself into that. I agree. I mean, I think there's in some ways there's a madness to it mm-hmm. saying, this is the thing I'm going to do. Um, and the willingness to continually to pursue it despite setbacks. I was thinking about knowing I was going to do this today. Um, I'm working on a third and a fourth book right now. And I've, I've got them into a place where I'm sending those off to publishers. Right. Mm-hmm. This morning alone, I received three rejections. Oof. Right. And you just, Hey, that's all right. Yeah. You stick with it. You keep going. That's that's writing. Is I think writing is often I describe it as an exercise in rejection. Yeah. But you keep going. Interesting. I want to talk more about that. Yeah. But let's go back. So you get to to Buckley Air Force Base. Mm-hmm. They're like, hey, Thursday. This is happening. Get your backpack on. Yeah. And so you're like, wow, like this yeah. is really happening. Yeah. And you hop on a plane Thursday. Yeah. And then you head over to Iraq. Yep. Wow. Yeah. And so what were you thinking? I mean, during that time, now you've had this clarity of who you want to become and the things that you want to do. Yeah. And now you're in the middle of a war. Yeah. Like what, what were the emotions and you know, what, what kind of things were you thinking about? And then did you, at that point, since you knew yeah. in what you were doing, like my job is to go to war, right? Like I've yeah. signed up, like I have to do my job. Mm-hmm. I've signed a contract and yeah. you know, I want to complete my tour. Did you in your mind say, okay, I have to do this, but I'm also going to be pursuing this? Or what What were you doing during that time? Yeah, so I was, I think a lot of people do this maybe. Uh, and if not, I definitely was doing this. I was sort of moving through life as if it happens, to, like it was happening to me. I wasn't making anything happen, right? Mm-hmm. But when something like you get called into war, I had this sense of I was living history. I was living in history, right? At some point, there will be a history book, and some kid in high school is going to sit down, and he's going to open it up, and it's going to talk about the Iraq War and the Second Battle of Fallujah. Mm-hmm. And it's weird to think about, like, as I'm flying over, I'm thinking, I'm, like, in the middle of a textbook being written. Mm-hmm. And it was such an interesting experience for me. It was an awareness of, and the only way I can describe it is being really, really fully alive, right? Mm-hmm. Which again, it's such, it's such a tragic situation or circumstance for that to happen in. Um, but most of us don't live that way day to day, right? Most of us are doing our things. We're brushing our teeth. We're getting kids off to school. We're we're going to work. We're coming home. We're making dinner. It's the sort of mundane. But when you this opportunity presented itself to step outside of that and live, like I said, the only way I can describe it is history. It was in this awakening moment. So there was this sense of excitement, but also dread and terror, not knowing what was going to happen, not knowing if I was going to come home, not knowing what to expect, right? Um, which then I think also, like I said, provided the sense of clarity of, oh, if this, if that was the image that I, I had been given or am focused on, then how do I work to get there? And so even when I was in Iraq, um, I was applying to graduate schools. I was working on, like, what are my next steps going to be if I get through this and I get home? What's my life going to look like next? Hmm. Right. And so I did my first tour. Uh, like I said, we landed in Kuwait, and then that push up to Iraq. came home, went back to Bethany College, and I said, I went into the registrar's office, and I said, look, this is who I am. This is my story. I have to go back to Iraq in a year, so I need you to get me out of here in a year. 
have a year to graduate. So I took all my transcripts. I looked at it and I said, okay, look, here's the deal. If you take oh, something ridiculous, like 18 credits a semester, you double on J term and you do a summer internship, we can get you out of here for the communications degree. <laughs> I was like, let's do it. Just like that, huh? Yeah, yeah. Now, granted, my my the Intel school that I went to okay. in San Angelo was yeah. with it was um it was with the Community College of the Air Force, and so I was able to transfer some of those credits okay. in, <clears throat> like maybe twenty. So I done my first two years, like twenty years or twenty credits. My first two years of college, twenty credits to the Community College of the Air Force, mm-hmm. and then they're like, okay, we can slam through this if you switch your degree to communications. And at the time, I was like, whatever, I just got to get done. Cause I don't want to keep postponing this past a set. Like, what am I going to do for a year yeah. and then go back to Iraq and then come home and have to go back to Kansas? Yeah. So I, that year was nuts. Right. So uh, you get a year off. Is that like a break? No, it was just a, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could think of it as a break. Okay. Yeah. Like you go for, you go for like 18 months, you come home for 18 months, you go back for 18 months kind of a thing. Okay. But we had no, my, my, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can be misremembering this, but I'm pretty sure we knew we were going to be recalled like July of whatever that would have been, 2004. Mm. So I slammed through that year, July of 2004. I, I graduate, do my internship, go back to Iraq. And this time it's Ramadi, it's Second Valley Fallujah, um, a really nasty part of Iraq and a really bad time. And that's when I actually uh, applied to graduate schools. So I was applying to graduate schools as I was there. I applied to CU and then applied to Denver Seminary. Um, got into both. I was like, I either want to be a journalist or I want to be, I want to go into like academia and do religious studies and like yeah. philosophy and stuff like that. And then obviously took the, the latter route. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of always like, okay, what's next? What's next? How do I, how do I move towards that mm. vision of clarity? So you bust out the 18 months of school, mm-hmm. you go back. What was your feeling going back? I mean, you've been home for 18 months going back to Iraq. Well, I mean, well, I was did, miserable. Yeah. Cause at that yeah. point it's like, Oh, I know what I'm going into. Yeah. And what, what was, what was your, what were your days like? I mean, were you yeah. reading a lot and then like in Iraq? Yeah. Like when you were there, like what was your life like? So I was an intelligence specialist. Uh, I was enlisted. So at the time, my second tour, I think I was a corporal. Maybe I might've been a Lance corporal. I can't remember. Um, but I go over there, you know, you get like a giant green sea bag thing. Mm-hmm. I had like what they made me take. And then the rest, like the bottom half was all books. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> like super heavy. <laughs> right. So I go over there. My books. My books. I got to have something to read. Because yeah. at the time when I was going over there, I was like, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a bunch mm-hmm. and I'm going to try to write this book through all the plane. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so you had that idea to write a book. Oh yeah. And it was terrible. It was so bad. <laughs> that first effort was horrendous, by the way. So when you started thinking about writing a book, yeah. um, did you do research? Like no, no, no. How the, to write so the, a book? Yeah. Okay. So yes, eventually. So what happened is I go through that second tour. Mm-hmm. My days look like I worked, you worked 12, I worked 12 hours as an intelligence analyst. I'd had 12 hours off that I had in that time. I had to sleep, obviously. We were required to work out, and then I would usually get an hour of downtime, which I'd usually read or write or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that 
I think I, I came up from that tour. I got accepted into those schools. I chose Densem because I wanted to go like philosophy, religious studies route. I shared my writing with like one other friend and he was like, dude, this is bad. <laughs> right. But so the idea is it wasn't, so yeah, I, I, it was going to be like, a, it was going to be like letters from the front, you know, it was going to be like a <laughs> journal, like a world war two journal of a yeah. guy, like kind of a thing. It was a foggy day. Today. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but it was so bad. I could smell yeah. you know, <laughs> like, carnage. Yeah. Exactly. Gunpowder in the yeah, air. It was bad. Uh, so I was like, okay, I still got a little bit of work to do, right? So then, but then my master's degree started and I was just, I was kind of in that world for a long time, reading, writing, developing my own skills um, as a writer, as a researcher, all those kinds of things. Um, and I'm going to kind of jump over some things, right? So I get married in that time. Um, I finished my master's degree. My wife and I decided to go to Cambodia. Mm-hmm. Um, so we go to Cambodia to teach English at the National Polytechnic Institute of Cambodia uh, when we're there, we have our first kid. Um, I started, I think my real second effort was in Cambodia after our second kid, I wrote a novel for my daughter, Regan. And subsequently I've written a novel for each of my kids. Mm-hmm. And my, the goal I set myself was I have to write a novel, um, before they're born. So I have nine months to write this novel. Right. And I was able to do that three times. And I think those, I don't know if they're good enough to be published, but they were really great exercises, exercises, right? To help me develop my skills. But when we came home from Cambodia, what happened to answer your question? My wife, to her credit said, if you're going to take this seriously, she got in the, she got, put me in the car. She drove me down to the tattered cover, which is this bookstore in Denver. She, She walks me to the section on writing. And she says, I believe in you. You need to take yourself seriously. Buy any book you need on writing today and read it. All right. So there's this wonderful book. You asked about recommendations. There's this wonderful book called The Constant Art of Being a Writer. Mm. And it was amazing. It just walks you through um, the, like you have an idea. How do you outline it? How do you actually write it? What's the, the, the discipline and that that requires? What kind of word counts are you going to hit every day? All the way through. Mm. How do you find an agent? How do you market it? How do you give a book talk? Like, just the whole thing. This is what it means to be a writer. Uh, and that book was amazing and helped me really uh, sit down to finish my first real book, right, through all the plane that I really I felt comfortable after utilizing some of those techniques to then send that to a publisher and, and sell it and do book talks and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So when when you were done with, with uh, Iraq, when you were done yeah. with the Marines, was that... Was that four years? So I ended up doing, I was a reserve, but I had two tours. And then after those two tours, I still had to do my reserve duty for, I think it was like another two years or something like that. So I actually, I officially got out in 2009. So was that a huge burden lifted off you when when you were done with that? Mm -hmm. Like, did you feel like, okay, good. I mean, because I can imagine you, 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 now you have your vision of what you want to do, where you want to go, how you want to pursue that. Yeah. But then you kind of have this ball and chain that's you know yep. keeping you mm-hmm. a little bit grounded from that mm-hmm. and so when you were done with your second tour of iraq then you came home and you essentially <clears throat> started going back to school or yeah so when i came back from my second tour the reason i only applied to those two schools for a master's degree was because um i i knew i was a reserve in denver and i i can't leave right, right. And i could have right i could have gone to wherever but i, I would have had to have 
every month I would have had to have come back to do my, my drill. So it just wasn't economically smart. <clears throat> so that's why I decided to stay in Colorado for school. And then after, you know, I, I got out, it was a breath of fresh air. It was a relief to get out of that. I was ready to sort of dive in to this vision of clarity I keep talking about and really pursue that full on. Um, we, we go to, you know, we go to Cambodia. I finished my master's degree. We went to Cambodia. Um, we had our first kid there. We came home. My wife finished her master's degree. I was a stay-at-home dad for a year. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, Andrea finished her degree, uh, her master's, which is, which is fun. It was great. I enjoyed that time. And then uh, once she finished her master's degree, we both started working, and that's when I started working. Uh, being, I was a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, at different high schools here in Denver um, and continued to write and think about what the next steps were. And so for me, I, I, I would love to be a writer. It's really hard to break into that industry. It's really hard to, to make money writing. And so I thought, what is a way I can do that and pursue that passion but still like get paid yeah. ideally? Uh, and so I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll continue on. I'll get a PhD. I'll see if I can become a doctor and maybe get a job as a professor somewhere and then I can teach Um, Because I really do enjoy teaching, so I can teach, I can have relationships in the academy, I can write academic stuff, but I can also write novels and fiction work and other things I'm interested in. Uh, So I, but my wife's family is from Denver, and we have no desire necessarily to move, so I thought I'll just apply to this program in philosophy and religion and literature at the University of Denver, and I'll just apply every year till I get in, right? That's what I'll do. And then somehow that made it more palatable for me to stay as a high school teacher if I knew like I was pursuing something and then on my first try I got in and I was like ah Andrea wow we got to rethink what we're doing so in your mind you thought I'm going to teach for five years or I'm going to continue to teach and I'm going to apply to get into this school Mm. thinking it may not happen right away like it may take a couple years or longer for me to constantly put in an application. Yeah, and at the time, that's also what I was waiting to hear back. Um, that's when I was writing through all the plane. Mm-hmm. Was in that five year period. I was teaching high school. I was writing this book. I was, you know, thinking about applying to this PhD program and all that kind of stuff. So when you started writing through all the plane, was that um, was that a difficult time for you? Like, were you pretty self critical or? You know, how did you take it from the idea, starting to write? I mean, did you write it by hand or did you type it out? And then did you just have pages and pages of, you had this book that kind of helped guide you through that process of writing. Yeah. Was there ever a point where you just felt like you wanted to give up or were you a pretty determined person? Like, I'm going to finish this. Yeah. By the time I'd started writing through all the plane, I'd already written the two novels for my kids. Okay. So... As goofy as that sounds, you can say we're never published. I was, I, I felt at least more comfortable with bringing a, a book from idea to completion. Mm-hmm. So throughout the plane, uh, I was really detailed in in uh, outlining the whole thing, uh, drafting a summary, chapter outlines, all those kinds of mundane and boring things, but I think necessary. Yeah, for writing, and then. My schedule actually hasn't changed that much. I am pretty detailed in the way I run things, at least for my own life. I like to wake up at 5 a.m. I like to read for 30 minutes to wake up. I always write 500 to 1,000 words in the morning. 
right? Then I help the kids get, now I help the kids get out the door, right? But back then, um, it was always very, like, I'm very regimented, like, wake up, get the brain moving, then start writing. Goal is 500 to 1,000 words a day. If you do 500 to 1,000 words a day, everybody's like, well, that's not very much. It's only like a page and a half, maybe two. Um, but you'd be surprised. You can write, you could write a 300-page book every six months if you do the math. Wow. If you're just diligent and focused and have an idea. Yeah, how do you, how do you think being in the Marines affected yeah. you being able to stick to a routine? And, yeah. I mean, do you think that helped at all? <clears throat> oh, I think it made all the difference in the world. Because, yeah. I mean, what kind of person were you before the Marines? Do you think you could have done that yeah. if you hadn't gone through the Marines? I don't know. I mean, I was always, I'm the kind of person who's really passionate about the thing I decide to be passionate about. Right. Right. Um, I have a hard time getting excited about other people's stuff, which I know makes me sound like a complete jerk. <laughs> I get it. Uh, but if I choose to do it, you know, it's, obviously there's all kinds of marital fights that happen around this, right? Why can't yeah. you do this? And I'm like, because I don't care. Right. I don't <laughs> care about that. But I love you. Yeah. And you're great. Uh but if it's the thing, like if I decide, so all that to say, right, when I was trying to get a college scholarship um, for football, I was really, I'd, I would go to the, I would, same kind of thing. I would wake up, I'd go to the gym every day at 5 a.m. I would work out for a couple hours. Um, I would study film. I would get workout sessions from like University of Nebraska and I would do them. Like I, I, I can, I have a tendency to obsess about the thing mm. I'm really into. Yeah. I think the Marine Corps highlighted that, but also gave a focus. Right, to where, again, there was this clarity of like, oh, I actually, I don't want to be a jack of all trades. I don't want to be good at this, this, and this. This is the thing I want to pursue. And given like the discipline and the regiment that the Marine Corps gave me, this is what I want that to look like. And then, you know, you read a book like The Constant Art of Being a Writer that says, hey, let me give you a shape to mm. um, what this could look like. And I think there's a lot of benefit to that. Uh, I think part of it is, you know, throughout the plane, my editor of that book, he, the, one of the first things he said to me was, writing is a craft. It's just like something like blacksmithing the more you do it the better you get and the better you get the better your product's going to be hmm. where oftentimes i think you know people can't make the mistake of when it comes to writing saying i'm going to wait for the muse to come or i'm going to wait to have an idea or whatever hmm. it doesn't matter what you write if you want to get better at writing you need to write every day diligently just like every any other job right monday through friday i wake up i write 500 words it could be something for myself. It could be a short story. It could be stuff for school or, um, you know, academia. It could be the next project I'm going to work on. Um, if I really have to fudge it, it can be emails, right? It doesn't matter. It, but it has to be 500 mm. words a day. And what I find is when I'm in that rhythm and that pattern, writing not only comes uh, easier, right? But uh, I write better stuff. Yeah. And so it can be, you know, I think it can be considered this robotic kind of Marine Corps thing. Um, but like anything else, the more you do it, the better you get at it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's so to me, it seems like having that discipline and creating that structure mm -hmm. really allows you to, um, do what you want, allows yeah. you to achieve what you want to achieve. Yeah. And I think, you know, for somebody like myself, who is, I, I'm more of just all over the place as far as, yeah. you know, when I come up with an idea for something, it's it's easy for me to focus on that, but then to continue that or the discipline of that, because I don't really have a routine. 
Yeah. You know? And I think I think probably the routine aspect of it really helps you stay focused in yeah. on that, like creating a routine around that yeah. and committing to something I yeah. think is important. I agree. And I think there's an important shift that has to take place in any writer's life where at some point they have to say, this is work. I'm work. I'm going to work now. Hmm. And you close your, your study door or you, whatever it is, you open up your laptop and you say, I'm working. And it's not, that can sound so uncreative it, it, and it can sound laborious, unfun, all those kinds of things. But there's a professionalism that comes with that. Mm-hmm. There's a seriousness that comes with that. There's a diligence that comes with that. I'm gonna, and not only that, but there's I'm taking myself seriously. Um, which writing's hard because, like I said today, right? I received three rejections. Writing's hard because you oftentimes have to. You're at the mercy of the gatekeepers, right? Those editors who do or do not accept your material into that particular publishing house. You don't always have control over if you're going to get published or not. But there's a professionalism in saying, this is work, I, there's a routine, and I find, given that, it's much easier to handle the rejections. So yeah, this is just a bump in the road. I'm going to wake up tomorrow and, and get back at it, right? Now, when you write something and you get rejected, do you throw that away? Or do you say, man, this is really good. I'm going to keep trying to yeah. get it published. Or do they usually give you feedback so that you can tweak whatever yeah. it is about that? Yeah. Editors or, rarely give you feedback, if ever. Yeah. Right. So don't ever expect that. Um, so what I think is this, you have to believe in the project you've written, right? If you believe in it and you've brought it to fruition and you have a good proposal, uh, which again, you can get a really good example of that through the constant of being a writer, but you can also Google um, book proposals, fiction or nonfiction, depending on what you're writing and get really good examples of what that will look like. If you have a good proposal, you have a good project and you believe in it, it's not if it gets published, it's when, you oftentimes just have to find the right publishing house or the right agent. Mm. And so uh, you can look like Writer's Digest is a great outlet for that. You can also Google around and try to find different people who say, I'm an agent who's looking for young adult novels that focus on blah, 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 right? And you that happens to be your project, great. So you want to focus your proposal to that person. Um, but the thing is, if you believe in the project, you will get rejected. You will get far more rejections than you'll ever get acceptances. And so know that, be comfortable with it, and keep pushing ahead. Um, I think the key in terms of, because you're not going to get feedback from an editor, the key is to be in a, in a strong writing group or a, a group of people that you're comfortable sharing your writing with and and for you, the writer, being comfortable with hearing that feedback. A great exercise, if you've never done it, is to, um, if you share your writing with somebody, like if I were to give you this thing now and say, okay, now you read it. When you start talking about how you read it or you start criticizing my writing, the writer, don't talk. Just listen. That's the thing. Just listen. Don't open your mouth. Literally, if you have to set a timer that says for the next 10 minutes, I won't say anything. I will only listen to what you have to say. Do it. And then at the end, say thank you. That's it. Don't ever get in the, like, don't ever defend your work. Don't try to say, yeah, but you missed this part. It was actually really good. You just didn't see that. Mm. No. Let the reader have his or her say. Let the reader do his or her thing. You need to listen to the feedback and then say thank you. Right? Somebody took the time to read your work. Right, say thank you. And then the next day, go back to your study, open up your laptop, and start over. Right. Or rethink it or edit. But let that sink in. Um, I 
really believe after, you know, publishing two books, being in a writing group, working with editors, um, working with uh, copy editors, all those kinds of things, right? The book that comes out that's finished is really a community project. Mm. It's not just me, some genius in a room somewhere, writing something amazing. It really is a community effort, right? I had I had first readers, I had second readers, I had editors, I had copy editors. Um, I had a publisher that weighed in on it and, and gave me suggestions and recommendations. Um, and at the end, we all together sort of published this product. It wasn't just me. Mm. And so I think if when you think through that and you can uh, accept that for what that is, I think it's much more easier to receive the rejections and the feedbacks and all those kinds of things and to say at some point this is going to work out. I just haven't found the right agent, publishing house, whatever it is yet. But eventually I will. Um, but keep putting it out there. Keep listening to the voices. Keep hearing the criticism. But don't take it personally. Yeah, so really it's about just believing in yourself, like believing yeah. in what you're doing and going all in on that. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think there's ever a point to where somebody's just maybe is just not good at what they do? Like, you know, like, like the singer who's like, the only yeah. person who says you're good is your mom. Maybe yeah. you should think about selling mattresses. Yeah. <laughs> I can give you advice for that, too. <laughs> you know, I mean, so. Yeah. I think that's hard, <clears throat> right? Because you never want to discourage somebody saying, yeah. like, oh, you probably should. Because I, in my mind, I'm thinking, man if someone decides to go all in and they're passionate yeah. about it and they're like, this is what I'm yeah. going to do. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I may be writing something too, that's a little bit different than say like singing, for instance, like you can yeah. get voice lessons and get a little bit better. Yeah. But being a Kelly Clarkson or yeah. a Mariah Carey or something is yeah. like, that's eh, one in a million. Yeah. You I, know? No, I totally agree. And look, I'd say a couple of things, right? I've written a couple books. Um, you know, I, I, I just finished my PhD. I have this, 300 page dissertation that I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get published. Right. Um, I'm not, I'm not the next famous writer. Like I'm not going to be JK Rowling. I'm not that right. Those come along every so often. Yeah. I mean, Stephen King's. Yeah. Like, is right. Like the still like the guy who's yeah, yeah. So, that genre. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not that. Right. And I, I, I know that, um, it doesn't mean you still can't pursue your passion and make a kind of living doing it right so I think what you can do is say I love singing and I love music as it turns out I don't have the gift I can't afford lessons or I've tried it but just didn't work out for me okay so what's next how can you participate in that community Mm -hmm. and in that environment and still pursue your passion so maybe you become a producer or you become an whatever they're called audiologist or audio whatever engineer engineer yeah whatever right yeah um and so for me that was part of it like look i love writing i would love to be a professional writer the reality of me making money enough money to pay my mortgage writing is rare so what can i do well i can i can go into academia i can become a, i can become a doctor um i can teach i can help kids learn and transform lives and all those kinds of things and i get to continue writing mm-hmm. awesome yeah. Right. And so really when you write, is it more for yourself? Like when you write, are you saying, all right, like whether this gets published or not, like I'm writing this because I want to write it. Mm-hmm. And it's something that you kind of birth in a way. Yeah. And then it, once it's there, it's like, okay, great. Now I'm yeah, going to yeah. move on to the next thing and, and yeah. keep going. Yeah. Everybody's got a different position on this. I think if you ever sit down to say, I'm going to write this because it's going to make me money. Like it's hard. I I think it's hard to carry that all the way through. Cause yeah. you, I mean, that's you're talking years to write a book, and then years of peddling it to different agents and publishing houses. Right. And 
I mean, <clears throat> you're not probably not going to get rich writing a book. That's hard. So I think you really have to believe in the project and say, this is for me. This is a story I would really like to tell. Um, and some of the, like the fiction stuff I write, some of it, I think this is a story I would really like to read to my kids. And I would like to see how they interact and respond and engage with it. That would be really fun. I believe in it. I have a great time doing it. If it, get, if it gets published, great. If it doesn't, it doesn't mean I'm a bad writer. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. Right. So when you had finished your first book um, and decided that you wanted to try to get it published, yeah. you know, what was that? What was that like? I mean, were you nervous? Were you yeah. afraid? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think did it's... Did it get rejected? Oh, yeah. Tons. I think it's totally... It's terrifying to, yeah. send your, to send your stuff out there and say, I don't know you, but just give me like your hard, objective opinion on what I've written. And sometimes you'll get feedback, a response that's, hey, this is good. It just, does, it just doesn't fit our publishing house. I got a rejection yesterday that said, this is good but it doesn't fit the strategic direction that we're moving in. Hmm. All right, what do you do with that, right? Yeah. The guy could be lying. It could just be terrible, and he's just trying to be nice. Hopefully that's not the case. (laughs) Right? Most likely. Yeah, yeah. Um, So it's always terrifying to send your stuff out there. I think I'd sent through all the plane to something like 12 or 13 different publishers um, before Cascade Books got back to me and said, hey, we're interested in this. We want to do it. Hmm. And I... I was at my office at Denver South High School when I got that email, and I was like, Pah. "Yeah, like, oh my god!" I called Andrea. I was yeah. like, "It's like having a son on the radio." Yeah, I was like, "Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're gonna do this." Of course, with publishing, it's like another two years before the book actually comes out. Um, but that was that little glimmer of hope, of, yeah, or, or like confidence. Oh, I would even say validation, right? Yeah, like you said, like, when, when somebody finally comes in and says, "Hey, actually, we think your song should be on the radio, and we can make that happen," and you're like, "Oh." I don't suck. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. I can do this. Yeah. That's right? awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Did you have any mentors or people that were in your life that were constantly encouraging you or mm. did you seek out mentors or someone to yeah. say, Hey, keep going, keep pushing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, academia has kind of built in mentors and like mm-hmm. my advisor. Um, so my master's degree, my advisor was really helpful and coached me in not only my writing style, um, like grammatical structures, all those kinds of things, but structure and theme. So right, that was incredibly helpful. But then also to come alongside me and say, hey, this is good. You should think about you know publishing this. Um, and it's the same actually now in my, my dissertation that was finished. My advisor has been oh, so wonderful to me and encouraging me to continue to, to push it out there and pursue publication and uh, all those kinds of things. So I think academia kind of has this built-in relationship with an advisor where it can be a kind of m- mentoring relationship. Mm-hmm. And then when I was younger, I always had, um, you know, as, an, as somebody who liked sports when I was younger, coaches and that kind of thing that would come alongside and say, hey, you know, you're good at this or hey, you're not good at this, but let me show you how we can make, you know, you better at it Yeah, kind of a thing. Yeah. What is one, like, one thing of advice that someone gave you that kind of stuck with you throughout your education and Hmm. is there something that you can think of that man I remember so-and-so believed in me or encouraged me and not really stuck with me yeah I mean I've already actually mentioned this but I think I went to a small school in Washington State called Napa Vine High School it's in the middle of nowhere it's halfway but my dad picked it he was he was a salesman and you had to travel a whole bunch that's where you get that salesman yeah right Uh uh-huh I was 
I know I, it passed me by for sure. I'm terrible at that. But so he picked, he knew he had to travel a bunch, so he picked the geographical middle point between Seattle and Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just small school in the middle of nowhere. And I had wonderful teachers there who who came alongside me and said, we believe in you. You can do this. So much so that, you know, like I said, this this one teacher said, I'll, I'll sit with you every day after school and help you rewrite your senior paper. Wow. Because I believe in you. I think you can go... You can you can do stuff, um, yeah. Yeah. So then, in turn, if you could give one piece of advice to, you know, someone who's coming up, someone who's maybe wanting to pursue their doctorate. I mean, yeah, we really didn't even get into a lot of that as far as yeah, you know, was that something difficult? Was there times you wanted to give up? Yeah. You know? um, yeah. Um, not so much with the PhD. I, I love that world. Like I love reading. Yeah, it seems like kind of your wheelhouse. Yeah, like I love geeking out on that kind of stuff. So I don't. I never wanted to quit. There were t- there were definitely hard times or harder seasons. We I started the PhD when um, my third child had just been born. So my wife and I were, you know, ships <laughs> passing in the night. Yeah, passing off kids, getting kids ready for school, all that kind of stuff, and then me trying to get to my school to to do uh, the work I needed to do. So, I mean, it was challenging. It's hard. I don't, I don't think that, I think the way a PhD usually works out is you do it when you're older. So you, people usually are married or in a relationship or they might have kids and it's just a crazy experience and it's long and there's no job guaranteed at the end of it. And so it's a crazy, like you really, really, really have to want to do it. It's not something you can just half-heartedly be like, no, I'm just get my doctorate. Yeah. Unless you're a freak. Right. <laughs> Sure, if you're a genius and you can do right. that. Yeah. Let me get my second the, doctor. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, for the rest of us, yeah. like you really need to, to want to do it. It's got to be a passion. And I think, again, like there's there's parts of you that would have to say, I'm going to let, as terrible as it sounds, right, I'm going to let other things in my life go because I want this so badly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I, I told my, my wife and I talk about this all the time, I think, you know, I'm married, we've got kids, my wife works, I work, our kids are at school all the time, we're constantly juggling all that stuff, and given just the life I want with my wife and my kids, I get one thing, right? I don't have time to mess around with other junk, right. and so that is, like, I can I can pour my time into writing and my PhD, and that is what happened. I don't I don't have time to also, like, I don't get to play soccer on Sundays with my, with a soccer league, or I don't, you know, yeah. um, which I used to do beforehand, or... um you know, whatever it means. Like, I just, there's no time to goof off. Right. There's the margins are so thin. That and you have to make sacrifices. You got to make sacrifices, you know? Yeah. And so that's kind of what we talked about before, kind of selling out to what it is, whatever your clarity is, whatever you decide to pursue, you like legitimately have to sacrifice things to make that happen. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's awesome. I mean, I think that there's just so much wisdom there and, uh, and encouragement too, you know, as far as, um, saying, listen, you have to sell out. You have you have what it takes within you. Yeah. You have to like pursue it wholeheartedly. It mm-hmm. can't just be a yeah. And that's yeah. not at the expense of being a jerk, right? right? <laughs> like, don't be a jerk. Yeah. I, I mean, you're only here because of the relationships that have shaped you, and they're the ones who are going to believe in you the most, and most likely the ones who are going to read your stuff first. Right. Right. Um, so I, I, there's a there's a when I think of balance, I think in terms of like <clears throat> balancing 
the passion of that which I want to pursue and my relationships. That's where there is a healthy balance. Um, you know, like even now, I just finished my PhD and my wife's back in school now doing some stuff. And so I'm, I help, you know, getting kids off school and like, I jump yeah. great. Now it's your turn. Now you go do your thing. Mm-hmm. That's the balance that needs to take place. Not in, t- not in terms of like, I'm going to be a jerk and think I'm awesome and just continue to write at the expense of right. my kids or my wife or my friends or whatever. That's, yeah. When I think too, there's different seasons for different people, right? Yeah. As far as like, you know, say you didn't have kids, yeah, and your wife had a full time job, yeah, somewhere. You're, oh you're, man, I'd write somebody. <laughs> <I'd>... <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. I know what you're saying. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. You got me. They might watch this, so yeah. let's just move on. <laughs> so, any advice that I mean, I think that we've got lots of. I mean, I feel like. That I've, I've heard a lot of things that come from that came from you yeah. during this interview that have talked about finding that clarity, yeah. pursuing your your passion, um, you finding resources and things like that. You've kind of yeah, you know, given all that. I, I, yeah, and I think what if I could say one more thing, I would say this: what you're doing is important, right? Mm-hmm. Who, who, whatever you decide to do, it's important. So when you think of like this show, how did you get here? You get this idea. Yeah, nobody else could do it like Mark Labriola could. But you get this idea, and you there is a moment in time where you have to decide what I'm going to do is important. I I have something to offer to humanity, and you know hopefully it's going to make humanity a better place. Mm-hmm. But it's important. You're the yeah. only person who can do it that way, so do it that way, and do it well, and do it professionally, and and you know show up and all those kinds of things. But when it comes to writing, I think that's really important to remember. But yeah. Even if, and I know it's funny, right? Like the whole thing, like fake it till you make it, even if you are faking it to some degree, just remember what you're doing is important. Yeah. I always say fake it until you become it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That's good. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think when you fake it long enough, then you actually become that which yeah. you were faking. Yeah. Which I think is what we we're talking about before. It's so important. Like, hey, w- wake up every day, get your word count in, and it's going to feel dumb at first. And you're going to think, why am I doing this? But eventually you're going to become a writer. Right? Yeah. You're going to be the kind of person who produces good material that people want to engage with. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's awesome. All right, man, I want to get to a couple of fun questions. Yeah, here. let's do it. You know, so what was your first job? My first job was I was a dishwasher at Spiffy's <laughs> Restaurant in Chehalis, Washington. And I used to do the dishes and clean out the grease traps. Dang. I hated every minute of that it. That sounds like an amazing first job. It was the worst, <laughs> literally. First car? It was a 1969 Ford Bronco. Dang! Uh, I saved up. So that's, I started working at Safeway bagging groceries. <laughs> I saved up a bunch of money. My dad helped me out a little bit. And it was a POS, man. It was terrible. It was like rusted out. It yeah. barely ran. It, I had to every day to get to school. I'd have to put a whole quart of oil in it just to get to school. Right? <laughs> and then it would just drain in the parking yeah, lot. Yeah, it was <laughs> miserable. But, you know, it was a three on a tree. Do you know what those are? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, man. Okay. It was awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. First car, man. First car. Yeah. Um, if you could learn any skill, uh, what would that be? If I could learn any skill, I am fascinated by coding. Okay. I just think it's cool. And it feels like there it's it's an industry in which there are jobs. <laughs> There's a lot of jobs. Yeah. <laughs> right? <clears throat> so I think about that all the time. Like if I was gonna just like pff, make a hard coding. break and like doom, what would it, what would I what would I be doing? I'd be like, ah, I'd learn coding. And like 
Code nice. something cool though, right? Right. Yeah. Like a game or yeah, you know, something, something awesome. Something usable. Yeah. Um, do you have any hidden talents? Is there anything that's? I am a one-hit wonder. What is it? I just write. Oh, you know, I got no, I got no, I got no more talents, man. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm. That's my talent, right? That's uh, yeah. Uh, I think you're a multifaceted guy. I mean, yeah. I mean, just your the fact that you did two tours in Iraq. That you, yeah. I did you do something in theater or something to yep. do with theater? <laughs> so when I started it, my undergrad, I was a, a majored in English, minored in theater. And so I acted a whole bunch. I was in, a, in in high school and in college. I was in a bunch of plays. And then my senior project in, in college was actually directing a play. So, so that. that's interesting. I, did, I could do that. I've, I've been in a few commercials locally. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> um, no, what I would say, if one thing I, <clears throat> if I ever make time for anything outside of like just the whirlwind that is yeah. having a family in 2018 and uh, outside of like work, I like to board game. Board game? Board game. Like it's fun, like games. Like Catan or Yeah, whatever. Yeah. We don't have to yeah. go into the details. <laughs> yeah, okay. The, if there is anybody listening to this that's a board gamer, they know what I'm talking about. So I'll have to clarify. You know, I recently watched a documentary on Go. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, the AI thing. Oh my gosh, it was amazing. amazing. And I never yeah. he- I had never heard of Go. Oh yeah. It's like a century old yeah. game that's like the most it's like more popular than chess. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um Oh man, I do, dude, I really appreciate you coming on the show yeah. and you know taking the time to hang out yeah. and uh, share your story yeah. and encourage you know people who yeah. are, are writers and yeah, thank and you. people who are trying to pursue their passions and yeah. the things that they want to yeah. you know be in. So, yeah. dude, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was an honor. Yeah, of really. Course. So, and uh, this is the new book. Yeah, let's talk about your books here. We got two books. Yeah. Through All the Plane and Sigurd's Lament, the new one, Sigurd's Lament. If you're a fan of Norse mythology okay, <laughs> and epic poetry, you're going to love this one. <laughs> all five of you. <laughs> okay. There you go. Uh, and then Through the Plane, Through All the Plane is an yeah. amazing uh, yeah. story that, uh, you know, essentially it chronicles Ben yeah. life in the military and yeah all after those, my wife and I in Cambodia and that whole thing yeah so, so that's really awesome a really yeah. great fascinating read um, so I highly recommend it and it goes into a lot of uh, detail and depth yeah about things that you struggled with and yeah, yeah. all those things after coming out of yep um, you know Iraq PTSD and, and all that junk yeah, yeah so it's a really great book um, as always subscribe uh, like the page join the group the Facebook group uh, we're growing that up so that it can kind of we can encourage one another and and and, um you know bounce questions off each other and and all that so um yeah so i think thank you guys so much for being here Uh, if you joined us on facebook uh this will be posted later on uh with a better audio uh sync as well as um uh the podcast we're still kind of building that out so continue to to join here on facebook Uh, it's going to be great. So thanks for joining us and we will uh, see you when we see you and we'll talk to you when we talk to you. All All right. Thanks so much. Thanks. We'll see you.